waiting for. <laughs> that movie clip is from the film Facing the Giants. It came out in about 2006. I want you to take a moment, just think about it for a minute. What character did you relate to the most when you watched this clip? Was it Brock, the big beefy guy who had the attitude? Was it Jeremy, the one who was on Brock's back, who quite frankly, I think he had a harder job than Brock did? For me, it was the coach. The coach was able to take a kid with raw skills, but had this negative attitude, and he challenged him to be a key player in helping to lead his football team into greatness. That coach walked with every step that Brock took. And the coach knew that if he had just stayed back at the starting line and simply told Brock to give his best, Brock might not have gone more than 10 yards. But the coach never let up on Brock. He challenged him. He encouraged him. He motivated Brock to keep going. And the coach ultimately turned a cynical team joker into the team's most influential leader. That is someone who is committed to leadership and leadership development. The passage we read this morning uh, reveals Paul's commitment to leadership development. Now the text is not some insignificant list of names or, or some nice postscript to his letter to the Colossians. The text actually gives us some insight into Paul's strategy for advancing the gospel. I don't know about you, but when I read about Paul in the Gospels, Paul is often viewed as this kind of this one-man show. He's kind of all over the place, and he's kind of always working on his own, or, or maybe at best he has a mentor or, or an assistant, an apprentice with him, like Barnabas and, and Timothy. It's usually a, Paul and one other. But as we look at this section in Colossians this morning, we learn right away that Paul really didn't operate that way. Paul had many people on his team, and he was very intentional about raising the next generation of leaders in the church. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, how Paul developed next generation leaders. Here's our big idea for this morning. The strategy for advancing the gospel has always been to develop the next generation of leaders. The strategy for advancing the gospel has always been to develop the next generation of leaders. Now let me take a minute and define what I mean by next generation. Earlier this week, there was a group of us meeting for a meeting and one of our younger leaders uh, was there and somehow we got talking about next generation leaders and, and they kind of cringed a little bit and they said, I hate when we say next generation leaders. I was like, why? We invest a lot of dollars here in next generation leaders. And they said, because it always comes off seeing like it's, it's further down the road, it's, it's to the young, the development of the youngins, the youths of the church. But the next generation needs to be leading now. And they were absolutely right. We often equate next generation with kids and students and young adults, and, and that's, that's rightfully true, and that's so. But the next generation was not defined by Paul in terms of Greek or Jew, old or young, slave or free, which we learned about in a previous chapter. But by those who have surrendered their life to Christ, 
who were showing signs of transformation and who were embracing the call to advance the gospel around the world. Those who were faithful were the next generation of leaders. Let me show you what I mean this morning. Paul was writing, to, writing from, the prison, uh, from a prison in Rome. Colossae was dealing with heresy, and Paul was over a thousand miles away from them. He'd been under house arrest for about two years, and there was no pending trial, and, and there was no guarantee that he would be released anytime soon. Paul had become limited in his ability to journey around the region in order for him to advance the gospel. Now, if Paul was a one-man show, this could have conceivably been the end of his ministry. But what we see here is that Paul adapted his strategy in order to advance the gospel. What did he do? He began writing letters. In the time that he was in prison over that two and a half, three year period, he wrote a letter to Philemon, to the Colossians, to the Ephesians and Philippians. And then what he did was is he deployed faithful believers from his team to carry out the work in a way that he was not able to do. Here's a look at Paul's team as it was described in our text this morning. Paul talks about Tychicus, who's a beloved brother. He calls him a faithful servant and a fellow servant. He traveled with Paul on his missionary journeys. Tychicus took over as the interim pastor in Ephesus so Timothy could leave and join Paul at the end of his life. Onesimus was a runaway slave from Colossae. And one of the, 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 the story goes is that when he was in Colossae, he uh, had stolen from a prominent church member in Colossae. He goes on the road, runs away, heads to Rome, and Paul meets him in Rome and leads, uh, leads Onesimus to Christ. Paul builds him up, develops him a little bit, and now he sends him back to Colossae with Paul's recommendation. Aristarchus was a fellow prisoner with Paul in prison. He was a Jewish believer. He was a fellow worker. He was, uh, it was told that he was delivered a financial gift to the believers in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. Mark traveled with Paul on the first missionary journey, and, after, and when things got tough for him, he bailed. After a while, Mark said, hey, I want to get back in the game, and, and Paul and Barnabas got in a huge fight over the fact that Mark wanted to get back involved, and Paul said no. Yet in about a 10-year period, here Paul tells the Colossians to welcome Mark without any reservation. Jesus, called Justice, was a Jew, a fellow worker. He was, he was described as an encouragement to Paul. Epaphras came to faith when Paul was in Ephesus. He was the founding pastor of the Colossian church and also the churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. He went to Rome to get counsel from Paul about the false teaching that they were dealing with. And here's the letter, here's the response that Paul sent back to the church in Colossae. Luke was a Gentile doctor. He gave up his career to work with Paul. We find him on the missionary journeys with Paul at the end of his life. He authored the book of Luke and Acts. And Damas was described as a fellow worker in, Phile in the book of Philemon. He, would, he was believed to who had he was believed to have deserted Paul during the heightened persecution at the end of Paul's life. What were the team's qualifications? 
Does it say anything about their age? Does it say anything about their proficiency or, or how long they had been with Paul? Where were they in Paul's hierarchical structure? Paul says they were faithful fellow servants. See, just like the coach in that Facing the Giants clip, each team member, as diverse as they were, spent time with Paul and were developed and inspired to lead. And not to lead someday in some distant future, but to lead the next generation of believers now. Think about this for a minute. If Paul had not written the letters that he wrote when he was in prison and had them sent out through his team, the advancing of the gospel throughout history would have been radically different. Think about how this letter to the Colossians has impacted us as a church, us, North River, as we've studied it almost 2,000 years since it was written. Think about how millions of people have read and learned that Jesus is enough throughout the history of the church. All because Paul advanced the gospel by investing those who would follow him. Now this wasn't just Paul's some random strategic plan for advancing the gospel. This was Jesus' model as well. Look at what Jesus did in the Gospels. Jesus 12 chose 12 unlikely people, random fishermen, tax collector, these unknown people, and he developed them on a journey. Remember what happened when Jesus was, with, uh, was on the hill with the disciples and there was 5,000 people who needed to eat? And what did they do? They went to Jesus and said, hey, these guys are hungry. But what did Jesus do? He said, you feed them. What was he doing in that moment? He was developing them. They were the next generation. They were the ones that were going to be doing ministry. And Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus' final words to the disciples before he left this world was to go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I taught you. In other words, Jesus said, you're the next generation now. Teach the next generation that would follow you to do the same. For each new believer, they would hear and receive the message of the gospel from a previous believer and then pass what they received on to a new believer. The history of the church can be traced back to a ragtag team of 12 people. This was the call of Jesus to the disciples. Not just the 12 that Jesus developed, but whomever associates with Jesus. Disciples are the leaders who advance the gospel by developing new leaders. Now, disciples are not simply called to advance the, the gospel. They have been also equipped for the call as well. Here's what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, one of the letters that Paul writes. He said it was he, meaning Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. You see that? God has called and gifted every believer 
to develop the next generation of leaders. We often think that being a Christian is all about me or, or, or us. We get in this mindset, feed me, clothe me, disciple me, pray for me, care for me, serve me. Two things happen when that is our mindset. One, first, our, our focus becomes more inward than it does outward. In other words, we are no longer thinking about reaching out because we are so consumed with caring for ourselves. One of the most attractive things about North River is its clear mission. It's unapologetically outward focused. Helping people who are far from God become fully developed worshipers and servants of Christ. Our mission is about others. Feed others, serve others, clothe others, care for others, develop others. And as we focus on others, we have the opportunity to advance the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that we should not be cared for, or, and, and th but that absolutely should happen. This is one of the reasons why we have small groups at our church, so that people are cared for, and they are known, and they are connected, and there's support for each other. But that wasn't the mission that Jesus established for his church. That was not the end result. As disciples, we're certainly called to learn. We're called to grow. We're called to be cared for. But we're also called to embrace the mission of helping others to learn, grow, and be cared for. It's two things that are happening at once. They're not mutually exclusive. It's learning to grow in Christ so that you can be deployed for Christ. Now, the second thing that happens when we're in this all-about-us mindset is that we can become potentially spiritually flabby and lazy. We become so consumed with wanting more information, understanding, doctrine, study, togetherness with our own people that we never exercise and put in the practice the things that we are learning about advancing the gospel. Becky Pippert wrote a book called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, and she describes the challenge for Christians, that the longer they are Christians, the more time they spend with Christians doing Christian things. And she calls, she, she says that we run into the risk of becoming rabbit hole Christians meaning we go to church and that's our rabbit hole and we go to our Bible study and, and that's our next rabbit hole and we go to hang out with our Christian friends and, and that's a rabbit hole and we go to a Christian school and that's a rabbit hole and, they, and she says we miss the idea that God has not called us to stay in this salt shaker, this rabbit hole. He's called us to be out in the world, to be influential and develop the next generation of leaders around us. If we're not intentionally reaching others in our faith, we are missing a significant blessing and an opportunity to be used by God for his purpose. Cliff Connectel, who's the pastor of Grace Community Church in New Canaan, says this. He says, sometimes I am the first link, sometimes I am the final link, most often I'm the middle link. The only thing I don't want to be is a missing link. <laughs> Think about it. 
God has uniquely created you. God has uniquely gifted you. He's uniquely wired you. And he's ordained you to be used for this purpose. Paul didn't keep that understanding just for himself. He helped to see the potential that others had in advancing the gospel as well. Friends, don't be a missing link to the advancement of the gospel. What opportunity to advance the gospel has God created you for? Who will you develop? The opportunities are not just limited to us in this building. There's opportunities to advance the gospel by developing leaders all around us. Think about our families. We have to develop our spouses. We have to develop our kids. We have to develop our mother-in-laws. What? You don't develop your mother-in-law? I'm developing my mother-in-law. I'm showing her the way. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She'd slap me right now if she heard me say I said that. <laughs> there are opportunities to develop leaders in our neighborhood, in our towns, in the office. I was so proud of Amy Lynch, our, our children's ministry director. A few weeks ago, she had this idea of wanting to get our children, our kids, out of the building of North River and into the community serving. So she connected with Proprietors Green in Marshfield and uh, decided that she was going to take, uh, help challenge some of our kids who were part of our VBS here in this building and take it out of here and go and teach it at Proprietors Green in Marshfield, an aging care facility. So a group of kids gave up one of their days on their vacation to go into to Proprietors Green and got to bring them the greatest message that I'm sure these people had probably heard in a while. That life is unfair, scary changes, and sad. And even when life is good, God is good. That was an opportunity for our young people, our young believers, to develop the next generation of believers. There's no age limit on that. There's no proficiency on that. It was faithful believers who had and received the message of Christ and were extending it and sharing it and developing others. With the time I have left this morning, I want to share three subtle implications for developing the next generation of leaders that we can glean from this text. First, developing leaders requires doing ministry with, not to, the next generation. Developing leaders requires doing ministry with, not to, the next generation. Look at how Paul describes Tychicus in verse 7. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Paul describes several of his team members as fellow servants. Paul was effective at enfolding people into his mission. They were stakeholders. They had ownership. There was a sense of, sense of collegiality among them. Tychicus was faithful in following Paul on his missionary journeys. Tychicus grew and developed while on those journeys. Onesimus, who was on the run, ran into Paul in, the, in Rome, and Paul shared the gospel with him, and it, and it changed his life. 
And through the time spent with Paul, he was developed as a leader, and he was sent back to Colossae. Now, while leaders were certainly tried and tested in Paul's ministry, his M.O. was to do ministry with those he was developing. They were with him. It was not to them. There's been a significant shift in the American church over the last 20, 20 to 30 years. There was a time where the churches operated like this, three Bs. I'm going to ask you to put that on the screen so I can show you. Is that there? If, if you believed and if you behaved, then you could belong. That's how churches 20 to 30 years ago operated. There's been a significant shift in the church over, those, over the last 30 years. Often the ministry focus has been to the next generation, telling them what to believe, telling them how to behave, and if those things went well, then you could belong. Some churches didn't even let people get involved in ministry until they belonged. But here's the shift that's different today. Belong will believe will lead to behave. Do you see the difference? People need to come in first for a little while and to be received and to belong and to be part of what's going on. They need to kind of settle and, and process and, and learn and understand before they ever make that decision to believe and even more so the decision to behave. Do you see the difference? People who are seeking need to belong first. That means we need to enfold people into the mission before they believe and they behave. And this is all part of the development process. Now, obviously, we would not give someone who didn't believe a main teaching role in the church. But there are certainly opportunities around the church that people can belong and get involved and learn along the way. There's stories of that that happens here all the time. Recently, there was someone that we were recruiting to be part of our children's ministry team. And as we were talking with them, they indicated that they were nervous, that they were new in their faith, and they didn't feel they had a lot to offer kids. Wonder what our response was? What you already know and believe is where you begin your ministry. What you already know and believe is where you begin your ministry. See, we were able to find a place where they could serve and develop and be part of the mission, all the while continuing to grow and develop in their faith. Developing leaders to advance the gospel requires us to do ministry with people, not to the next generation. The second thing that we can, we, we can take away from this passage is that we need to shift from being a doer of the ministry to becoming a coach. We need to shift from being a doer of the ministry to becoming a coach. I think some of Paul's best ministry happened when he was in prison. Why? Because it forced him to do ministry differently. He had to begin coaching 
taking the people that he had been developing and to coach them, to send them to strategic places around the region in order that the gospel could continue to be advanced through Paul's message in ministry. Paul stopped doing for a while in order to become a coach of the ministry. Here's what this kind of looks like practically, in a, in a practical way a little bit. A couple years ago, I had to paint my house. And uh, I, I'm a pretty uh, particular type of painter. Um, some would say I'm just a control freak, uh, and probably so. And one day, Riley came running out of the house, and she's like, Dad, what you doing? I'm like, I'm painting. And she's like, can I help? And my first response was no, can't do it. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I'm like, uh, you know what? I can teach her. I can show her how to do it. So you can kind of see Riley grabbed the brush. It was a little awkward. Paint's falling all over the place, getting all in her hair. It's like flying everywhere. I'm like, right, let me show you how to do it. And all of a sudden, she's, she was like, she's taking over the whole job. And she was actually doing a better job after, after a while. She was doing a better job than I could do it. Now, I know some of you guys look at this and probably think, well, this is child labor laws uh, infraction here. <laughs> I call this leadership development. <laughs> but here's what got better. Payne came running a house and she's like, well, dad, can I paint? I'm like, no, you're too young. Mom will kill you if you get paint in your hair. But I got a job for you and I gave her the lawnmower. Where is it then? She started mowing the lawn. <laughs> and she had so much fun with that. When she got a little bit older, we said, all right, you, now you can start painting. And here she goes on the next picture. Uh, she's, she's painting a fence. She doesn't look very happy doing it, but uh, <laughs> after a while it caught on that I was just going inside drinking lemonade and she's outside in the hot sun. But, but here's what happens. We get into the mindset when it comes to ministry and, and the tasks and the roles that we're doing, we think I can do it better or we think I can do it faster if I do it myself, right? Is that not what we do? That's, that's a trap that we can find ourselves in. But when we shift from being a doer to becoming a coach, we take the things that we have learned along the way and we start to impart them and develop people. Now all of a sudden we're creating a new level, a new layer of leadership. We avoid tunnel vision, we avoid just getting our, having our head down in the clouds and we're seeing a 10,000 foot view of being able to develop people in order that we can advance the gospel. It doesn't require us abdicating our role as leaders. The shift from the coach, from the doer, is becoming a guide by the side. Just like the coach in Facing the Giants walked alongside Brock every step of the way, our role as coach becomes the same thing. We don't just send somebody off and to send them to do their own thing or to figure it out on their own. We become a guide by the side and we coach them along the way. Our ministry becomes a coach, not no, more, not, no longer a doer. Our, our leadership formation adventure team uh, has, been in, has been working together for the last couple years. And a few years ago, it started with three of us. It was myself, it was Chuck Dillon, and it was Marie Russell. And we got together and we, uh, we put together a leadership development program for North River. And we were the doers of that ministry. 
we designed the curriculum, we promoted it, we recruited some people, we got them involved, they went through, they went through the first year. And then last year we went through it a second year and it was even better because we expanded, we added new people to it. And it was, and, uh, and it was a great year. And now we're expanding it again a third year. Although this year I had a meeting with Chuck and I, we were, had lunch one day and I said, Chuck, I want you to take the leadership of TLFA this year. And he's like, well, I, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, Chuck, you're retired. You don't do anything anyway, right? <laughs> And he said, he said I'll, I'm do, I'll do it, but he said, under one condition. Like, there are, some, there are some parts of this that I need some support and help with. And I say, Chuck, absolutely. That is how we have to develop our ministries. We have to come in for a little while, we have to assemble it, establish it, and then we have to identify someone who can carry it, and then we have to work with them and coach them and watch so that they can continue to carry on the ministry. What does that allow us to happen? One, it allows a ministry to continue to happen, and it'll also free me up to find another area of ministry that needs development. That's, what would happen if all of us in this room were committed to doing that? Each one of us who calls himself a faithful follower of Christ has the opportunity to develop somebody or something or a ministry. We need to stop doing the ministry and become coaches of ministry. And finally, we need to develop next generation leaders with kingdom values. Look at some of the, value, the kingdom values that Paul had in this text. Verse 15 said, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. The kingdom value there was belonging, community, and fellowship. It was a high value for Paul, so he was coaching the church in Colossae to make sure that fellowship and community and belonging continued and prevailed. Verse 16, after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. This implies the importance uh, and the kingdom value of learning and studying and knowing the word and making sure others understand the word and value that. Verse 17, after this letter has been read to you, see to it, it is also, I'm sorry, I read the wrong one. I'm reading it, I'm reading it wrong. <laughs> verse, uh, verse 17, um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 18 was prayer. Paul said, I write my greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. In other words, he was saying, pray for me. Prayer was a kingdom value within, within, the, within the kingdom. So Paul is imparting, as he's coaching the church, he's imparting the, these values onto uh, to the, to the people. He wasn't saying just go figure it out and do your own thing. He was just giving them specific ways in which they could build the, value, the kingdom values into their church. I know I mentioned the team of TLFA a few minutes ago, but I'm excited about the launch of TLFA this fall because it's one of the places where we are working hard to develop leaders within the church here at North River. And we've taken seriously the idea of developing values and principles that are important for all of us to learn and know. 
We're gonna launch this year. The first year we launched six people, we had six people go through it. Last year we had 15. Our goal this year is to have 30 people go through TLFA. And my hope is that you would consider hearing this message this morning, the importance of developing the next generation, that you would consider being part of TLFA this fall. Now some of you might sit there thinking, well, I'm, I'm a senior leader. I, I have enough experience in leadership. I don't need a remedial leadership training program. Can I tell you that the, 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 uh, some of our mature leaders who took TLFA last fall told us, and they're now on the leadership team this year, had said to us that they actually learned some things that they hadn't learned before? If you see the value of leadership development and you are someone who is versed in leadership and has experience, you too should be at the table. One, to model for the next generation the importance of leadership development, but you also get to be part of the leadership development here at North River Community Church. First, by, by just being, a, by demonstrating and modeling to those that are, to those that are there, but one of the cool things that's happening is that we are we're multiplying and we're recycling leaders to continue to develop more people. Our goal is in the next two or three years is, is to have 50, 75, and 100 people go through leadership development in North River so that we're all moving forward and with one accord in the same direction and we understand leadership values and that we're, we're living those out in all the areas and ministry of our church. Friends, leadership development is critical. We see it in Paul's ministry. We saw it in Jesus' ministry. It's what I want North River to be known for. I'm far less concerned about our seating capacity than I am about our sending capacity. Because when we understand that we have been developed and we have been equipped and we have been wired to serve and to go and to develop other Christians. It's no longer about just gathering here. It's about going out there. May we continue to be that church that loves the world enough that we want to impart on them, share with them, extend to them the love of Christ that the world may know that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Let's pray together. God, let us not become flabby. Let us not become lazy. Let us not become disinterested. Let us become more engaged. As we walk with you, as we trust you, we realize that discipleship is not an upward climb, but it's a downward climb. Death to ourself death to our desires, death to what we want, and more in tune and aligned to what you have called us to and prepared for us to do in advance. God, let our passion and let our desire to, to be developed and to develop others and to build your kingdom continue to thrive here at North River. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.